0: Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork and today we're going to be talking about conscious parenting and the parental awareness threshold. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Dr. Robert Saul. Dr. Saul is an author, the creator of the Parental Awareness Threshold Framework and a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics. He has been guiding the physical behavioral and mental care of children for over 40 years. You can reach Dr. Saul at his website mychildrenschildren.com and I'll include a link in the show notes. Welcome Dr. Saul. I'm so glad that you could join with me today.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's a it's a real privilege to be here.
0: Oh, I am delighted. I really feel that parenting is so important and that is the way to change the future. Is to give each child a great start, and how wonderful when that great start is in their own home. So I would love to hear your story. What what got you doing what you do?
1: Well, I finished my uh, pediatric training in 1979 and started in practice. And I also am a medical geneticist. But when I started into practice, I was going to be the best darn doctor you can be, and I was fully engaged and. Uh, gung-ho and doing everything I could. Uh, But then about 14 years into it, I realized I wasn't paying back to the community like I should, Uh, that I I needed to be using my professional stance to, to be a better citizen in the community instead of just being a trusted professional in the community. So I heard a talk that has had a profound impact on me ever since. In that talk, this person said for whatever, he was addressing hospital systems, but I took it personally. For whatever happens in your community, 12 words, I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource. So what that means is for anything that's happening in your, in your community, you need to take owner, personal ownership. It, it needs to be your problem. And to, then you need to be part of the solution. And to do that, you need to devote your resources to it. So it's not their teenage pregnancy problem. It's not their violence problem. It's not their homelessness problem. It has to be mine if I want to make a difference uh, in the community. So I, it took me several months to sort of internalize that message. But then I got going and said, you know, put me in. I'm ready to go. And I got involved in a variety of, of things in the, in the community. And then April 20, 1999, two students walk into a high school in Littleton, Colorado, massacre 13 people and kill themselves. You and I know that as Columbine. Now, I went to medical school in Colorado, but that wasn't why I was so intrigued with this. I asked myself, could this happen in my community? And the answer is yes. I asked myself, have I done enough to make a difference? And the honest answer was not enough. Um, So I put pencil to paper. Back then, we used to do that. Um, And uh, and I wrote out an an article for the local newspaper. And I subsequently, submitted over 160 op-ed articles for the paper over the next 12-13 years on what I called the five steps to community improvement. And that's the precursor to this conscious parenting we're going to talk about. So that's why I'm going through this. Those five steps were learn to be the best parent you could be, get involved, stay involved, love for others, and forgiveness. Now when I Uh, you know, learn to be the best parent you could be. I chose those words carefully. Parenting is a constant learning experience. You're never done. If you think you are, you fooled yourself or you've given up. Uh, And I don't want you to do either of those. Um, And the best parent you could be. Not everyone has the same circumstances. Not everyone has the same socioeconomic status. Not everyone has the same whether single mother, uh, you know, illness in the family, there's can be a whole host of things that can be a real challenges to parenting. So my job as a pediatrician was to help parents learn to be the best parent they could be. And I'll be honest, early in my career, parents would come into the office, say, what do I do here, doc? I got this problem. And of course, I was smart. I'd read books. I'd been trained. So I just told them. Now, it took me about 40 years to realize that wasn't my, that wasn't really my job. My job was to help them, to help empower them, to help enable them, and in a trusted relationship, gently help peer behind the curtain and see how I could help them move forward, rather than just telling them, this is what, this is what you do. Because we all know sometimes it's simple for somebody to tell us something. It's hard for us to actually do that.
0: Isn't that the truth? when you try to apply something and oftentimes when we're not in the situation we think we know more than we do like you say oh well that's so easy all you have to do is xyz and when you're there and that is your child and they respond like this if you do xyz instead of what you were hoping for you get an entirely different result so how clever to be able to to put it to the next level i am just so impressed your desire to pay it forward? I mean, I would think that as a pediatrician, your very first question is of, am I doing enough? Am I helping my community? Most people would say, oh yes, absolutely. You're helping to care for the physical needs of our children. And what greater need is there than to help our children to be healthy and happy and strong? And I love that you took it to the next level of How can I help the children in every aspect of their being? And when you talk about the Columbine um, horrible experience, that how can we affect not only the children, but also the environment that the children face? How can we help make this a better world? And how wonderful that it started with 12 words. And those 12 words for some people might seem absolutely overwhelming. When you say, I am the problem. I am the solution. I am the resource. But I can see what a beautiful thing that does. And so many times we have an us and them mentality. And as long as it's them or their problem or their issue, then it doesn't apply to me. But once it's a we and it applies to me, then that makes all of the difference, so I am grateful for whoever said that to you, that inspired you to be able to uh, go through this journey of what can I do even more to help be just this advocate for children that they can have a joyful life. So I would love for you to help me understand and help share with our listeners what what you mean by this conscious parenting.
1: Let me give you a little more background quickly, because I th- to get you there again, the other steps were for parents to get involved, for parents to stay involved, for for parents to practice love for others, and for parents to accept and extend forgiveness. Those are those are very simple on the surface, but very complex. But that it was that framework that got me to my first book, which was My Children's Children raising young citizens in the age of Columbine. So to jump ahead, I think the whole point of parenting is to be raising our children to be good citizens. Oftentimes we say, I just want you to be happy. I think happiness is a blissful side effect if we are searching for our children to be good citizens. Now, the next level for me in terms of how I got to this conscious parenting was actually, you know, this, some of this self learning that you have to go through. I changed jobs late, late in my career and they made me take another leadership course. And I rolled my eyes. Oh gosh, do I have to take another one? And it was called conscious leadership. And they talked about when you're a conscious leader and you're above the line, you're open, you're receptive, you're ready to learn. When you're below the line, you're closed, you're defensive, you're always right. That seemed to me to be exactly what parenting was about. And the parental awareness threshold, when you're above the parental awareness threshold, you're open, you're receptive, you're ready to engage, you're ready to listen and be present. When you're below the parental awareness threshold, you're closed, you're defensive, you're always right, because I said so, because I'm the parent. Now, the point is, we will all be above and below the line. I mean, we're human. Sometimes we're going to be right on in terms of our responses, and sometimes we're going to screw up royally. And I'll be the first to admit I have done that. Um, and so we need to be prepared to, one, either in the moment, sort of look at where we are. Are we above the threshold or are we below the threshold? And if we can, in the moment, pause, assess, and choose the appropriate response. Now, in retros if we feel in retrospect we made the inappropriate response because things didn't go well, well that's again, it's time later to pause, assess, and choose how we could how we can do better. And I'll give you a quick example. My son was, I don't know, he's about seven or eight, and one night he said something that really irritated me and I thought it was wrong. And I yelled at him. Well, he just turned into into a puddle, uh, and then Mom got mad at me for yelling, and then we went into that family meltdown mode that I'm sure has never happened at your house. Uh, but but where everyone walks past each other and doesn't talk for a couple hours. Um, and uh, but then it was finally time for bed, and I laid down with my son. I said, "Son, I'm so sorry. I think you did something wrong." But then Dad's response was equally wrong, and I can't tell you how sorry I am. I want to ask for your forgiveness. And he said, Dad, would you be quiet? I said, why? He said, I hate it when you're nice. Uh, so <laughs> so, so I, w- I was, you know, and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but I'm saying this that, that I've learned in terms of the conscious parenting, forgiveness is such a vital aspect of what we do. And the ability to uh, extend to forgiveness with ourselves, forgiveness with others forgiveness with externally, because if we're, if we're providing the wrong example to our children, that we're always still mad at that other person because of what they did, and we're not able to extend forgiveness. Kids, kids learn, on, learn about that. So again, the whole point of, and I'm sort of rushing through it, but the whole point of conscious parenting is a conscious awareness of where you are in your relationship as a parent, where your child is developmentally, and how you can maximize positive responses and minimize negative responses.
0: So by putting those two elements into place, one, I need to know where my child is developmentally. I need to be able to understand what what they are capable of understanding and processing at this point in their development. Yes, Yes, ma'am. And I need to see where I'm at and recognize... So, this is going to take a little bit of study and a little bit of practice. Now, when I was a little kid, I thought, I assumed that when I grew up and became a parent, I would magically know everything and I would know what to do. And then, when I found myself in the position of being a parent, I found out, nope. It was not that at all. I didn't have a clue what I was doing day by day, trying to figure things out. And uh, there, there just isn't a, a rule book. And the crazy thing is, even after you've done it once and it's like, okay, I have a child, I kind of know what I'm doing. And then you have another child and they're totally different and they respond totally different to everything. And so, and this kind of goes on and then they grow up. And once again, everything changes. I think, okay, I've got this down. I know how to be a parent of little kids. I got this. And then they turn into teenagers and all of the rules change. So I guess we have to continue to, uh, continue to learn and figure things out as we go along.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's why I, that's why talking about learn to be the best parent you could be get it. You know, it's going to be a constant experience. You need to be ready to learn. You need to be ready to adjust and alter your responses. Uh, let me, I don't know if you've seen the play or read or uh, the, the uh, Dear Evan Hansen. I don't know if you've seen, seen
0: her. it yet. No, I've heard of it.
1: It's beautiful, but there's, there, I put in the book a quote that I love it, but what is very pertinent to what you said. It's at these two mothers at the very, the very opening number are saying, oh my gosh, I'm screwing up. What am I going to do? Does anybody have a map? anybody maybe happen to know how the hell to do this I don't know if you can tell but this is me just pretending to know so where's the map I need a clue because I'm flying blind and I'm making this up as I go uh, so we our my job in terms of hopefully with conscious parenting is to help with a paradigm now the book is not meant to be in situation a you should do B this is meant to sort of provide a roadmap of how you should be looking at things and making adjustments. Because the point is the response you make on a Monday morning to the very same set of circumstances may be different, very different than what you do on Thursday morning, uh, because of a variety of things. Maybe you didn't sleep well. Maybe you're irritated with your spouse or what's happening at work or just a variety of things or that the fact that the the child forgot you that forgot to tell you that you have to have cupcakes for school tomorrow. I mean, there's a whole host of things. So we need to always be thinking about, why am I doing this? I mean, we can sit and argue with a four-year-old about why they should eat their broccoli. Uh, but then we should take that step back. I know why they should eat their broccoli. They don't know why they should eat their broccoli. And for me to tell them, just because it's good for you, doesn't necessarily make sense given their developmental stage so we need to pause assess and choose
0: all right so with a four-year-old how would you explain broccoli eating
1: well i would just i would would explain that i i personally wouldn't make it a confrontational thing if it started to break down into you're going to eat that or you're not going to leave the table uh, i would have i would have started with some sort of sequential thing over a week, maybe even with just a, a thimbleful of broccoli uh, mixed in with something, making a progressive advance, rather than put two clumps of broccoli on the plate uh, along with their whatever else they like, and say, you know, if you don't eat that, you don't get to get up from the table. And those are you just have to be understand where the child is developmentally uh, and where the child is in your family to where you are. And both parents, if, if it's a two-parent family, both parents have to be of the same mindset.
0: Ooh, that's if, challenging.
1: Uh, if one knows, well, mom didn't make me do that or dad didn't make me do that, they know how to play one parent against the other.
0: Oh, yes, they do because they're so smart. So I loved in you, this little example that you made the task or the expectation reasonable and doable. So it was, you know, let's start with something small. Let's do a something. And I also love when you talked about kind of seeing things from their point of view. I think that matters very much. Sometimes parents forget that children have feelings, which seems so silly, but you're you get into your own head of your expectations. I would really like to say this and have you do this, which doesn't usually happen. And then you forget to think of things from their point of view and how they're being, how they're being treated. Am I being treated with kindness and compassion? Do I know that this advice, this expectation is coming from a place of love? Or is it because I'm bigger than you? So you have to do what I say. So I love that putting those things together.
1: Yeah. I mean, so you want to, if you can think of it you want to say okay i want to be above the parental awareness threshold it's not just because i'm the parent and because i told you so um and so it's i mean there are times when that is appropriate obviously if your child's um throwing a f- hissy fit and going to run out onto the street well then that's that's not um that's not negotiable
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and so if it's a, if it's a issue of safety, then that's something different. But if there's some way to work around that, it, it makes a appropriate sense. And remember, as we a lot of people think, well, this is just coddling to children. I think this is showing love and compassion and understanding for the whole childhood experience. And remember the word discipline, which people sometimes equate with punishment, which I don't like. Discipline, the root word is disciple which means to teach. So any behavioral issue really needs to be a teaching experience. Um, sometimes parents will say, you know, my child's just so aggressive, I can't take him to the grocery store, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. Well, with within reason, don't put your child in a situation where you know they will fail. Uh, work around that somehow. That doesn't mean you won't take them to the grocery store till they're age twenty-five, but it means in the next month or two we're going to figure out a way around this because we want the child to be in a positive situation, not in a failing situation, where I'm frustrated, where they're frustrated, that I'm frustrated, and we're just yelling and and they they you know they're just pulling down all the cereal boxes in the grocery store. So there's there's ways around things. You just have to think ahead of time and be proactive. Like when it's bedtime, and if you know bedtime in your mind is hard and fast at 8:30, well, you need to start this process at 7:30. Uh, in terms of your book reading or brushing your teeth or bath time, however that sequence is, so it's not all of a sudden it's 8:29 and you're going to bed. Uh, that's that you're setting your the child up for failure and yourself up for failure.
0: And that matters. That planning. That organization. And when you talked about discipline and punishment, I once had a childhood expert kind of explain what what he felt the difference was. He said punishment is sort of revenge. It's, It's getting back for something that was done. And discipline is where the child understands what the rules are. It's been explained in advance where there are a set of rules and that you are uh, following through in something where it's not just coming out of the blue, but they know what to expect. They understand what those expectations are and that you're following through and holding them accountable. And I thought that was kind of beautiful, where it, it involved uh, some planning and some organization. So that I thinking, of, again, from the perspective of a child, where you do something that just seems pretty normal and natural to you, and then out of the blue, you get in trouble for something, and it's just confusing, and then you're not sure what you can do where things are not explained in advance.
1: And, you know, there's plenty of times where, where we're not going to, unfortunately, we're not going to explain it in advance in terms of what we're thinking about, because we just think of it as second nature, because we're... 20 plus years older uh, than the child, but the child doesn't do that. So that's why if once we have enough failures and have a conscious awareness of what we've done right and what we've done wrong, we can hopefully do better uh, going forward.
0: That's true. And that goes back to that repentance and that forgiveness example that you gave where we give forgiveness. And I loved you gave an example of asking for forgiveness. I think it's very healthy to ask our children for forgiveness and to admit when we did something wrong. You know, I didn't handle that the way that I should have, and I'm very sorry. And um, when the, the children know that you follow that same standard or that, that you expect them to do, you f- are following it as well, then there's that sense of fairness that is satisfied rather than just, again, you telling me what to do because you're a bigger kind of scenario.
1: And that's an integral part of citizenship. It's something that we've lost track of in citizenship. Citizens care about each other. Citizens care for each other. Uh, and part of that is understanding when we've done wrong, a- asking for forgiveness, extending forgiveness, uh, and doing it now. And it's not just personal forgiveness, but it's communal forgiveness. We can, we can sit back and say, Oh, it wasn't me. I didn't do that in the past. Um, uh, but it was us. And a, and a quick example, the American Medical Association some years ago did not allow black physicians. Um, really? And, and, yeah. And I don't know when that changed. Um, but f- f- about 15 years ago, they realized that what had been happened in the past was, was a grievous error. Now, they could have just said, well, you know, it wasn't me. It was them. They didn't, I didn't do it. But they said it was us so they issued a a group apology. Uh, What that helps us do is resets our moral compass going forward uh, and helps us have a better understanding of what people are actually feeling. Uh, Because that I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource, let's change the pronoun. Like you said, we are the problem. We are the solution. We are the resource. So Again, we can sort of point fingers and say it was them in the past, but why not accept responsibility and say it was us, and we can all just do better going forward? And that's that's where we have, in our current society, where we can't figure this out. We're just like this, or we're shouting past each other and not listening to each other.
0: Right. Because that accepting accountability of saying, I am the problem or we are the problem takes incredible uh, d- discipline. It takes courage to be able to say people, a lot of people want to pretend that they're perfect. I've never done anything. I, I'm, I'm perfect. And somehow we think that we have to be perfect in order to be good enough. And that is not the way that anything is solved. By saying, I'm perfect, I blame that person for being the bad guy, solves nothing. But when we say, I am the problem, I'm sorry, and then work from there, then we can look for solutions. I think you're right. That accountability is everything.
1: I mean, vulnerability is key. There's real power in vulnerability. And unfortunately, our society sees it as a weakness. I see it as a real strength. And if you admit to vulnerability, you're humble and you're sincere. And those are the qualities that make such a big difference in terms of being a good citizen and imparting that in our in our children going forward. When My, my parents divorced when I was young, and I remember my mother saying, Bob, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. Um, fortunately for me, I didn't follow her words. I followed her deeds. And she was one of these people that just was a remarkable lady who always helped and understood what others were going through. So I wasn't searching for my personal happiness. I was following her actions and trying to be a empathetic citizen. So for me, now, happiness is just a blissful side effect of trying to be a better citizen.
0: Isn't that wonderful? And I appreciate that you came back around to that because you mentioned it earlier, but we didn't expound on it. I think you're so right that many parents think I just want my children to be happy. I just want people to be happy without recognizing that if we took that literally at face value, that means that means I can do whatever I want. I can play video games all day. I can I don't want to study for school because that takes effort and it's hard and I just want to eat ice cream and sleep in all day. It's living for just that short-term pleasure, kind of really, instead of recognizing that real happiness comes, as you mentioned, sort of as a side effect, but it is a result of living a life of meaning uh, with purpose and service and helping others and being part of that community really help to bring about that, uh, that true joy something that's deeper than just my bowl of ice cream, not, I don't have anything against ice cream. I love ice cream, but, but something that's more meaningful and lasting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're all happy when we get that new bike at Christmas or when we turn 16 and get that car or whatever. Um, but hopefully the parents have instilled in you, you're going to use that new car to go down to the soup kitchen three days a week or, or other things like that to sort of pay back in some way, shape, or form. So there's so many different things we can do. Um, and one other concept I'll, I'll interject is I've talked about empathy. I heard somebody uh, talk about the term radical empathy. Uh, empathy is, you know, it's nice to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and say, oh, I'm sorry, that must, boy, that must really be difficult. I'm sorry you're dealing with that. Radical empathy is not just saying that. Radical empathy is investing time and energy in terms of actually learning what they're going through, how they got to that situation, and how you can really, really understand what's going on and hopefully make a difference going forward. Because I think there is a difference there. I think if there's one thing to just say, oh, I'm so sorry, this must be a really difficult time for you. Radical empathy is really trying to understand That is, if they just lost a parent and you've never lost a parent yourself, uh, maybe you need to sort of just take a step back and really try to understand what that means and how you can really put yourself in their shoes going forward.
0: Wow, that sounds uh, like it could be a, a positive experience where we're learning from someone else's experience, but it also sounds very heavy and it can be draining. I don't have the energy to carry everyone's burdens. I, I, can you help me kind of distinguish that just a little bit about, about when and where you would apply this radical empathy? I, I have friends who are empaths who kind of suck up everybody else's misery already. And they're, by the end of the day, they're just like, ah, I'm going to melt well, into I a mean, puddle. I mean,
1: you're absolutely right. I mean, you can't, well, as a physician, if I, um, and having you know have, have had very bad days when I've had to get very bad very bad news or serious illness or deal with the death of, death of a child. And, and if I had internalized all of that at the end of the day, at the end of the week, I, I would not be able to cope. Um, so there certainly are it's a a skill that I think you have to hone over time. And decide where you can be more radically empathic than it than at other times, uh, and that might be f- with some friends. That might be with a social group. Uh, with friends, it might be in terms of uh, a cancer diagnosis they're dealing with. With a social group, might be to really understand what African Americans in the inner city are going through. Uh, and so, there's different ways of of looking at that. Uh, and you're right. I mean, you can't take on all the world's burdens uh, and still be still be chipper and, and have enough energy for yourself and for your family. So um, you don't have to totally take over everything. And even I mean, I've, I don't I'm not a priest, but even priests, you know, have some pretty heavy weeks, I'm sure, in terms of dealing with families and counseling situations and losses and divorce and all that stuff. And they have to deal with it professionally, but learn how to somehow distance themselves at times so they can still lead a happy, healthy, normal life.
0: Right. And I'm, I'm assuming that the point you were making with the example of the, the radical empathy is our sincerity and to go beyond that surface, oh, I'm so sorry, and actually mean it. Yes. Okay. So if we're, if, I hope I'm on the same page with that. Yes. Thank you. This has been delightful. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we cover before we close today?
1: I just want people to be looking at raising their children to be good citizens, practicing forgiveness, practicing forgiveness, and recommend and remember that we are the problem, we are the solution, we are the resource.
0: And that, just those 12 words, if someone listening can just get those 12 words and really internalize it, I think that will make all the difference. So thank you so much, Bob. You've been wonderful.
1: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it.
0: In closing, I'd like to share a quote by O.A. Batista. He said, The best inheritance a parent can give his children is a few minutes of his time each day. If you are a parent, I invite you to be a conscious parent and to give the gift of time to your children. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org.